Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter, reminding you to bookmark acons.substack.com. That is where you will find our home on the internet. It's where we have our commentary, our social media profiles, as well as links to this podcast. We hope you will subscribe and follow wherever we are on the internet. Today, it's my pleasure to interview Horace Cooper. Horace Cooper is the chairman of Project 21, a senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research, and a regular TV and radio commentator. He taught constitutional law at George Mason University in Virginia and served as senior counsel to United States House Majority Leader Dick Armey. He is the author of How Trump is Making Black America Great Again, The Untold Story of Black Advancement in the Era of Trump, and his latest book, Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on the program. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. Now, having served on Black Voices for Trump, uh, you and I definitely agree that uh, the greatest president in recent history for Black America was Donald Trump. Despite the label of racist, despite uh, the label of xenophobic and all of these other things, your new book challenges the notion that the Biden administration's policies are beneficial or even intended to be beneficial to the African-American community. You point out in the introduction, because of his policies and their effects, Americans, especially Black Americans, have been put back in chains. What prompted you to write this book and make this argument? Well, I'm writing this book not particularly to speak to Black Americans, not particularly to speak to conservative Americans, not particularly to speak to any group other than one. If you believe mistakenly that the best way to help Black Americans is to use the coercive power of big government, I want to show how not only does this not work, it makes the situation worse for Black Americans and it harms the country at large. In other words, when you pick racial winners and losers, everyone loses. Now this is counter to the narrative that we've been told since we were kids. Everyone knows how terrible Jim Crow was. Everyone knows how awful it was when Black Americans were denied the right to vote, when Black Americans couldn't go into the shops in the communities where they live, couldn't use the pool or any of the other uh, unbelievable limitations. But you know what? Very little focus has been on how the overall community was harmed. So let me give a, a simple example of this. My great uncle wanted to buy a Cadillac. This is the 1950s. Now that was a time when we didn't finance our car for 36 months or 48 months or 72 months. 
or now I'm told people are getting an 84 month loan. There was a time when people paid cash, but where my grandfather, my uh, great uncle lived in Texas, the Cadillac dealer said no blacks need enter. You couldn't mm. buy. And he wanted one. So you know what he did? He took a train to Chicago, went into the dealer, wrote a check, bought his Cadillac, and came back. Now, I tell that story for this reason. If you're a dealer or a seamstress or dry cleaners or a restaurant or you provide any kind of services in Texas and these limits are placed, you lose. Not just the blacks that lose. Everyone loses. That dealer couldn't sell as many cars because of these rules. And that meant there wasn't as much economic activity happening in Texas. The same was true with the seamstress. The same was true with the restaurant. And it is for this reason where Jim Crow occurred. It wasn't just that blacks got hurt because they did. The entire region was impoverished because government thought it knew better and it was picking winners and losers. That is the real lesson that Rosa Parks was denied the use of the bus not because she was black, but because she was a citizen. Every citizen was entitled to be able to use the bus. Every citizen should have been entitled to go in and buy a Cadillac. Every citizen should have been entitled to get their own dress made. And the economy suffered as a result of it. Today in the 21st century, if we revert to those policies again, and all the left wants to do is change. They want to change it from blacks being oppressed to not blacks being oppressed. The principle is the same. Crushing economic opportunity so that there are racial winners and losers hurts the entire community. Now, your as the title of your book, Put Y'all Back in Chains, alludes to, Joe Biden sells himself as someone who protects us from the Republicans who wish to enslave us. Yes. Uh, someone people like Congressman Clyburn turn to because he's afraid for his daughters. And if we don't support him, then we ain't black. Uh, he even claims to have grown up going to black churches, to having marched in protests against segregation, and to have gotten arrested in South Africa trying to see Nelson Mandela. Is he or has he ever been uh, such a hero to the black community as he says he is or as he thinks he is? Okay, Joe Biden is a fraudster when it comes to uh, his record on race relations. He is unconcerned about anything other than promoting himself and advancing himself. He called black kids going to school with white kids putting them in a racial jungle. Those are not my words. Mm -hmm. He's the one that said, if you're a thinking human being and you look at his policies <laughs> and you find them wanting and you vote for someone other than him, you ain't black. Mm -hmm. He made up a whole story about a, uh, a, a <laughs> black kid at the swimming pool. All of this to Corn exploit, pop. yes, all of this 
to exploit racial divisions. I want to make sure everybody understands his vision is not the founder's vision. Our country was founded on a premise that the citizen would get to decide. We had a civil war once it became obvious that people would not agree with the idea that every single citizen had these rights. We ended up having to have a civil rights movement because people still refused to agree. Do you know who those people were? In the 19th century, those people called themselves Democrats. And we had a civil war over them. In the 20th century, those people called themselves Democrats. And we had a civil rights push against them. In the 21st century, the people who have made up a new term called anti-racist, which they really mean, let's have a new racism where government disfavors one group and favors another. Those people are Democrats. Today, they use Antifa. Then they use the Klan as their militant wing of their ideological views that we Americans cannot all be considered citizens. So I wrote this book to show all of the various ways that the Biden people, the progressive movement, tries to pick winners and losers on the basis of race rather than seeing us all as equal in the eyes of God and the law and letting policy flow from that. Because that's what Donald Trump did. That's right. He wrote my first book to explain that Donald Trump was the worst racist that we've ever seen. Black Americans grew at uh, 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 employment levels faster than any other group in America. So if Donald Trump's a racist, he doesn't know how to do it right. That's Black exactly right. Bought more pickup trucks that, per capita than the rest of the population. Black Americans grew more in their savings account. I outline all of this. So if you're going to call Donald Trump a racist for that, he's the worst uh, effective racist ever. But if you want to talk about the repo man today, the repo man and the repossession man and uh, the foreclosure man are the number one threats facing black America during the Biden administration. Who's the worst threat to black Americans? Now, black Americans, I say, are the canary in the coal mine. Policies that are destructive to black Americans are just ahead downstream of what's coming for America. Black Americans had reached record low unemployment under Donald Trump. Today, black Americans have a gap between the unemployment of blacks versus whites, the highest that we have seen in almost 20 years. Black Americans, but the unemployment rate that they brag about, it's coming for the rest of the country, because these policies do not work. When you go to the gas station and you have to figure out, am I gonna have to get a second mortgage on my home to fill up my tank because of what Biden has done? Black Americans feel that, but the rest of the country is feeling it. It is just black Americans feel it first harder. They have destroyed the strong, Black family. I point out in my first book 
that in the 1920s, black children were more likely to be born in intact families than any other race group in America. Less than 75 years after the Civil War, we had more intact black families. Yes. We have the least intact black families. But pay attention, white Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, their families are being destroyed very, very rapidly. They haven't reached the low level that we have, but if these policies continue, they will eventually as well. Last point, unemployment. In 1920s, black men were the most likely to be employed in America and the least likely to be imprisoned in America. Today, that is reversed. But let me again remind you, we're just downstream of where things are going to happen for the rest of the country. If we do not reverse these progressive policies of picking racial winners and losers, we are all going to suffer. One of the issues at ACONS that we have spent a lot of time discussing is black crime. As you point out, African-Americans are only about 13.5% of the population, but yet 57% of the murder victims are black. How has Joe Biden contributed to this crisis? So the uh, racial hoaxers, the grifters, lie to us, and they have us believe that when your grandmother is murdered, when your aunt is stabbed, when uh, your brother is assaulted and robbed, that you lie and won't tell us who actually did it, but instead you blame, quote, a brother. What outrage. And they say that the fact that the Bush administration the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and even the Biden administration's Justice Department tells us that a disproportionate number of the victims are black, but also a disproportionate number of the victimizers are black. If we believe that black lives matter, we should not care about the race of who did this to grandma. We need to hold them accountable. The Biden people not only won't hold them accountable, they are crippling the very force that exists, law enforcement, from being able to hold those people accountable. I believe it's possible to go your whole life without making much of a struggle, and you won't have to rape anybody, you won't have to go into a 7-Eleven or a convenience store and pistol whip anybody, you won't have to kidnap anybody. Little, little, itty bitty effort on your part. The overwhelming majority of us can refrain from that. There are a few people among us who do these things and those people must be held accountable. The Biden administration says, no, 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 we're not putting people in jail. That's a, a, a recreation of slavery. No. If you've raped grandma, you need to be buried under the jail. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be worrying about your past, your circumstance, because it is possible to go your whole life without doing those things. And I'm going to tell you this, for the few people that don't, the right answer is you got to grab those people by the throat 
You got to hook those people up to the jumper cables and you got to send them home to meet their maker. Those people will not prey on American society. The Biden administration's policies are exactly the opposite to pretend that we don't know who's doing these things, that the victims are wrong in who they have identified, and that if we catch these people, they need to have a, almost like an immigration policy, catch and release. You rape grandma once, you rape another grandma, well, maybe by the fourth time, maybe we'll treat that seriously. That is devastating, and it makes it impossible for economic growth to happen in urban communities. It makes it difficult for employment to thrive. It makes it difficult for investment. It is a vicious cycle. And once our communities are completely devastated, those jokers that are prey on us are then just going to go to the other communities. And we're already starting to see that. And that's absolutely true because you see all the looting and the rioting and policies like in San Francisco and Dallas and other places where there is a cap on how much uh, is how many goods are stolen before they will press charges. And that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there, there is no sense of law and order or crime and punishment. And how does looting a CVS restore justice? I mean, are not people who have marched still dead or the the uh, injustices that they say have occurred that prompted this behavior. How does that change that? The criminals, it's ridiculous. The criminals that prey on us do not give a damn about so-called injustice. They're not concerned about mistreatment. They're not concerned about civil rights. They are only concerned about getting what they can. And it is a lie that letting those people get away is helpful. In Baltimore, during the Biden administration, excuse me, during the Obama administration, there were riots. The mayor allowed those riots to get out of control. Today, nearly 10 years later, those communities are still suffering. When you can't get your prescription by walking out of your house a block, over to the brand new CVS, but you got to get on the bus. You got to do yeah. other things that's more costly for you. That means there are gaps in uh, you getting your medicines. That means people get less of the treatment that they so richly need. We watch you and I and people paying attention, how the destruction happens in a particular area. And then when people say, oh my gosh, we didn't expect that. Then we go to the next. Are we really shocked that people go to the Apple store? How is getting a new iPad or a new iPhone bringing justice to anybody? That's right. We allow this lie, and it is the Biden administration which could issue a directive similar to the one that Donald Trump did. Every U.S. attorney is now going to investigate these types of crimes, and since we don't have early release in federal systems. We don't have this parole and probation. People will go to jail. Now, the left said, oh, you just want to lock up black people. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't care who raped grandma. Whoever it was needs to pay a price. If they happen to be black, shame on them, but they're going to pay a price because we're going to put a stop to it. That's looking out for making sure that Black Lives Matter. The vision that we heard 
uh, uh, after George Floyd is that black lies matter. That's right. And they pretended that it was okay for black Americans to suffer while people engaged in wanton mayhem. That is wrong. And that progressive vision, which simply says a variation of what Barack Obama said, you didn't earn that. You didn't make that. It's a lie. It's your work. It's your sacrifice. You set up that little shop. You set up that program. You set up that business. And when someone comes in and burns it down or robs it or rapes it or whatever they do to it, it's a, a taking from your, the sweat of your brow. That's slavery. Taking from the sweat of your brow and giving it to someone that is undeserving. That's absolutely right, because we talk about generational wealth. When I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s, there were all Black-owned businesses in my community. And when you loot and you burn and all of that kind of stuff, that's generation, generational wealth, theft, in essence. Because we saw after uh, in Ferguson that a lot of those businesses did, were, were Black-owned and did not come back. That's right. And as you said, you have to go to the next town over to cash your check or to do uh, grocery shopping or whatever. And so taxes do not go in that community. They go into some other community. And so you're absolutely right. Now, what is your take on Al Sharpton going on MSNBC uh, to denounce President Trump for using the word rigor, as in someone who rigs an election, uh, because it rhymes with the N-word, but staying silent? after Joe Biden once again makes a gaffe and calls a black adult male boy. Yeah. Um, again, Al Not-So-Sharpton <laughs> is more interested in the grift. You see, his entire livelihood is based on being a spokesman for the lie that America is racist, that America is a place where possibilities are not allowed for black Americans. If he shut up, one, the rest of us could do the work that we want to be able to do and prosper accordingly, but he'd have to sell mansions. He couldn't fly around in a private jet. It is so obvious that he is a grifter and not a person interested in the true needs and expectations of black America. I'm going to tell you something. My grandmother taught me to be a morning person. I meet many people and they complain about the morning. Yes, five and six and seven a.m. or early for meetings. But work also is not an easy thing. Work starts with a W. Vacation starts with a V. They look similar. They are not the same. In America, my grandmother told me that if you work, you will get ahead. Al Sharpton and Joe Biden want us to believe it's not how hard you work, it's who you can get who has something to give to you. That was not my grandmother's attitude. And I got to watch my grandmother buy cash in my lifetime. Not my great uncle. I wasn't alive when my great uncle paid cash for his Cadillac. In my lifetime, in 1976, my grandmother paid cash for her brick house because she understood you save, you sacrifice, and you get the resources 
ethically, honestly, and legally. She was a woman, an amazing woman of God. And she has had such influence over my life. If we had that mindset, not the Al Sharpton mindset, Black Americans would understand that when a country makes it possible for unemployment in your community to go lower than the whole rest of the country at a faster rate, when economic prosperity is happening to you at a faster rate, that's evidence of what is possible. The left lies to us and say, we love you. But you know what? The left and Joe Biden's policies are like the worst deadbeat dad. They want your baby dead. And it's been devastating. Black Americans have had more abortions than the country at large as a percentage. And if those abortions had not occurred, Black America would not be in its state uh, uh, in terms of numbers. We're not the second largest minority in America. We're the third largest, and we are rapidly moving to be the fourth. You say that's not possible. Already in California, whites, Hispanics, Asians are ahead of black Americans. And that's where we're headed. We're in such decline because the deadbeat dad says our babies don't count. Our babies are a burden. The very entrepreneurs, the very inventors of, of uh, amazing things, uh, 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 people yes. that might solve cancer, they're not around because we let the deadbeat dad. The deadbeat dad said, you can't go get a real husband. We don't want you to have a real permanent long-term relationship. Stick with me. Oh, I have a government shutdown and I'm not going to send you your check this month. Oh, well, that's what a deadbeat dad does. We have That's fallen exactly right. for this idea that these progressive policies of picking racial winners and losers is better than a system that says, honey, son, whatever you have within yourself, apply yourself, get up early, work hard. And this country is the place for that to occur. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, I want to uh, touch on a few things that you said and, and pivot to uh, the topic of abortion. But, you know, Walter Hoy from Issues for Life has said that, you know, one of the reasons that we are stuck at 13-ish percent is because of fertility replacement theory, that through abortion, uh, the attrition rate in Black America, it, it, it's abortion is a contributing factor, that we're supposed to have 2.1 births, I think, just to stay at the levels that we are at, uh, yes. but we have 1.8. And yes. so we are disappearing before our very eyes and we're the ones that are doing it. You know, back on the plantation, Massa would rip your baby from your arms yes. or whatever, but we're laying on the table and we're letting them do it. Yes. This woman, you know, Margaret Sanger, she was, you know, the, the mother of Planned yes. Parenthood. She was a genesist. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and but we're laying down and we're letting it happen. Now, abortion is the leading cause of death for Black Americans. In your book, you inform us that, quote, while Blacks make up 13% of the population, they account for 30 to 40% of abortions performed nationwide, end quote. And I'll, I'll add to that, they are in our communities. 
the Planned Parenthood clinics yes. are in our oh, yes. communities by design. Why are so many black children being killed in the womb, in your opinion? The deadbeat dad does not want the responsibility of a yeah. real living human being. And the progressive vision is that humans are the problems. We keep getting under this misimpression. Just because someone walks up to you and says, I love you. When I was a kid, adults told young ladies, a man will tell you anything to get what he wants. We are still seeing that, but no one remembers that they will tell you anything to get what they want. The yeah. vision here, it's not about actually helping blacks. It's about pushing a real radical extreme vision for this country. I will repeat again what I said at the beginning. We are the canary in the coal mine. When black Americans are completely devastated, this doesn't stop. We just move to the next. Black Americans have the power. We could reject this. I, I mentioned in my book, black Americans, when you compare black Americans and progressives, black Americans recognize the importance of faith. Black Americans are more likely to be in church and pray on a daily basis than any other group in America. Yes. You know who hates that? <laughs> the radical progressives, the yes. people that have staffed up the Biden administration, and they are pushing as hard as they can to stop that. It is Black Americans who bring the values that, if allowed to occur, for instance, Black Americans consistently say, we want more law enforcement, not less. The progressives that continue to argue, we need less. We need social workers, not law enforcement. They don't need to have guns. Why can't they shoot the criminal in the foot? This is dangerous for all of us. Black Americans believe in the death penalty. We're told, oh no, everybody knows that black Americans, you compare what black Americans think about the death penalty, I put in my book, versus what progressives do. It is night and day. The same is true on all of the issues, That's working, uh, home ownership, all of these issues. The challenge is that the mainstream media repeats a lie. That if somebody isn't walking up to you every day and telling you, honey, I love you. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. That must mean they hate you. My grandmother said, if someone is walking up to you, honey, and saying, honey, I love you, I love you, they're just trying to get in your legs. They do not care for you. They do not love you. You wrote, perhaps the greatest measure of President Joe Biden's destructive anti-Black policies is his unacceptably poor stewardship of the economy, end quote. Can you give us some examples of this poor stewardship? Yes. So I mentioned earlier that uh, black Americans today are more likely to see the repo man and the foreclosure man than they are to see a, a salesman to get a new vehicle. This economy has been devastating. Inflation is so destructive. You go to the grocery store and items that cost $2 when you went last week now cost $4 when you go this week. The next week, it's likely to be $6. The Biden administration lies to us and says they have stopped inflation. What they really mean <laughs> is the six is the new normal. 
The $6 for the gallon of milk is the new normal. It's not going to go up to eight. Well, wait a second. Before you got in power, I was only paying $250 for this gallon. You're not doing me any favors by holding it at six. This terrible stewardship of the economy has hurt those on the lowest rungs the most. And Black Americans are statistically more likely to be at the lower rung. Black Americans gained under the Trump administration because it was a bottom-up. When the ocean rises, everything lower rises. Everything already high, it rises, but it doesn't rise as fast. Well, we have the reverse of that. Those at the bottom are sinking faster. It's no surprise to me when 69 to 70% of Americans say that the economy is in a terrible situation. The problem is that there is within Black America, same way that we're happy to see all these abortion clinics in our neighborhood, the same way that we'll go to a protest and say we we are mad about police officers, even though what we know is we need more of them, we're not holding this administration accountable. Only 40% of Black Americans, one of the highest numbers that we have seen in in 50 years, but 40% of Black Americans are saying the economy is really, really bad. The truth is about 90% of us think it, but some (laughs) are worried that this will hurt Joe Biden. You got to let that deadbeat dad go. Kick him out. That is absolutely right. And then we can have the real freedom, our 40 acres and a mule, that we can get on our own without it. Our mission ought to be, we don't need no deadbeat dad. That is absolutely right. Now, another issue, uh, this whole kind of uh, deadbeat dad-ism, is to have the government pay for everything. Yes. Uh, In California, Governor Gavin Newsom, my former governor, thankfully, um, is touting universal basic income, or UBI. Why do you consider that to be a bad idea? It's a terrible idea. And, it and is. The left has always promised you, we're going to pay for everything. It's yep. just not going to be enough. Yeah. Whatever you, just think, just think, listeners, if you had a kid and your kid wanted a Christmas present, do you want to get them what they really want, or are you going to just lie to them and just give them something that you just found? What the left does, what the deadbeat dad does, the so-called universal basic income, it is always less than you need. Go to public housing. We promise you we're giving you housing. It is less than you need. Go to inner city public schools. You will see it is less than you need. Go to the public hospitals in these urban communities. They provide less than you need. UBI would just trick people into thinking as long as the deadbeat dad, he's my sugar daddy. He's going to give me what I need. No, he is going to take some pennies and hand to you and expect your gratitude, expect you to be so grateful, so thankful, and not realize 
he is the problem. You can do so much better rather than accept this idea. Now, we got this whole thing that people are going to get um, reparations. It's just <laughs> another lie. Yes. And it is designed to trick people into thinking that a gift, one of the reasons is just a little side rant, one of the reasons I hate the lottery is it teaches people that it's not hard work, it's not sacrifice, it's not engaging in a little risk that generates wealth. It is just picking some random number and suddenly all your dreams are going to come true. That is not yeah. the lesson of life. Mm-mm. And UBI is not the lesson, the real lesson of life. If you want your children to have a better life than you, you want a circumstance where it is possible for you to apply your vision, your ingenuity, your creativity, and you can achieve. We absolutely need school choice so that your kids can get the training so that they can compete in an increasingly competitive environment. The left policies is we got to keep your kids as dumb as possible. You are going to go into our public housing facility. Your children will grow up there with you. And when you die, they'll own or stay. They don't own anything in that same public housing facility. And guess what? And so will their children. That's the UBI vision. That's the sugar daddy is going to give you, will never give you what you need, will give you what they want to give you. That is absolutely right. Because, you know, when my mother passed away, uh, it's been 15 years now, um, and I went back to, I grew up in public housing. It is awful. Uh, And I grew up in public housing, went back home. And do you know, the same neighbors were there. Yeah. And their children and their grandchildren. They were younger than I was. I was 44 at the time. And they had grandchildren. Yes. And they were growing up in that same generational cycle. So you're absolutely right on that point. I want to talk about that, too, because I homeschooled my three children. I believe in school choice. I believe in educational choice. And one of the things that we talked about the earliest on this podcast, because it was born during the Obama administration, because we hated the policies that we were seeing. Barack Obama pulled the plug on the DC Opportunity Scholarship uh, Voucher Program. And while his children went to Sidwell Friends, $24,000 a year in the lower grades, he pulled the, the rug underneath the kids who are, you know, the poor kids who are as bright as white kids, uh, pulled the plug on that whole program. Uh, these kids were outperforming, out any metric that you gave them, they were outperforming traditionally schooled children, no matter their color. And he pulled the plug on that program. Now you see that progressives are against school choice. They're against homeschooling. They're against educational alternatives. Give us your impression of Joe Biden's education policies, especially as they relate to the black community. Joe Biden's vision is that an education class needs to make all decisions about education in America. And that education class knows better than mom and dad do. Well, this tells us everything we really ought to know. Mom and dad decide and are supposed to every single aspect about your life 
The whole purpose of the family is that it's a place where the children are trained, are informed, or have values shared with them so that when they become an adult, they can be independent. The education class knows none of these things, has none of this knowledge, and can't be trusted to make these decisions. And yet, that's what his bureaucracy is seeking to do. I'm going to give you a great example of that. Because, as I mentioned, I homeschooled my children. My oldest son was really into robotics and programming. And when he was in first grade, he said, I want to build robots. And I understood that as his mother to mean not these little tinker toy type things, but he wanted a real working robot. So I approached a man who was giving lessons in robotics in an after school program for third grade and up. Now, my son is in first grade, third grade and up. And I said, do you think you might be able to adapt your curriculum to the needs of first and second graders? See what happens. So I he said, sure, I'll do that. Do you know that within, I'd say within a month, he was testing out his third grade curriculum on the first and second graders. And my son graduated from college with a bachelor of science degree in video game programming at the age of 20. And I homeschooled him from the day he was born until the day he left my high school. So these are policies. If you're going to talk about how many trillion dollars in debt our community is, or all America is, uh, we need to be able to compete at the global marketplace. Absolutely. And who, Absolutely. who is suffering, as you said, who's at the bottom of that run? That's us. Have you ever seen a, a, a black school, a, a school in an inner city that has a robotics program? Look, <laughs> no, no. We, we as don't. a community, now I'm talking to black America now, but I'm talking to everybody. There are success strategies that work wherever they've been applied, and there are failure strategies that failed wherever they have been applied. We need to start seeing these bureaucrats as a witch doctor. And yet you tell them, my child isn't feeling well. Oh, okay, well, I got an ax and we're gonna whack off one of the fingers. Why are you doing that? Oh, because that's what we understand you do whenever your child isn't feeling well. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to leave my child alone and take care of this myself. You're going to find out that the very same destructive plan, my child has a reading disability. My child um, acts up in the classroom. My child is hungry. They have the same plan regardless of what is going on. What mom and dad do is that they particularize the response mm -hmm. to the unique, like you did with your child. You didn't say everybody's got to go do this, but mm -hmm. what you're saying is be an interested parent. Intervene in the needs and interests. What Joe Biden's policies do is a one size fits all and it fails all. That's right. Black Americans need to start being wary. If someone comes to you, I got a free check for you. I got a new program for you. All of that needs to be looked upon as the witch doctor. The housing will never be good enough. The healthcare will never be good enough. The free education will never be good enough. If somebody tells you that I am interested in figuring out how you can achieve your dreams, that's someone that's looking out for you. 
But someone that tells you, I got a pre-made package, just vote for me and you'll see. Now, here's the good news. Every year since Barack Obama was elected, the percentage of Americans who are black voting lockstep for the left, progressives and the Democrats has dropped. We reached a high watermark of 6% of blacks saying, oh, I think I can think on my own to 12% in 2020. And in 2022, that number reached 14%. The magic number is 15. Not 40, not 50. The magic number is 15. If 15% of Black Americans decide they're going to start thinking for themselves, they're not going to accept the deadbeat dad. What they're going to see is it's impossible for the left to control Congress without at least 86% of black America voting lockstep for these policies, you can't win control of the Senate. You can't win control of the presidency. And I promise you, if we get 20 years of policies that put power back in the hands of moms and dads and individuals, Black Americans will be the first to say we ain't turning that clock backwards. That's absolutely right, because I have said from the dawn of this program, back when we started in in 2010, I said that there is nothing like the power of a black mother. Because, you know, having grown up in the Bay Area, having never seen a Republican in charge of San Francisco or Oakland or L.A., any of these communities, uh, inner city where our schools are failing, you know, I'm almost 60 years old and our kids still can't read. We have thrown money at it. We have done all these different things. Like you said, you know, oh, honey, I'll take care of you. And our kids still cannot read. When you've got all of these dire numbers coming out of uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and all of these other urban cities where our kids are failing, where there are graduating classes that no one's graduating because they can't pass the proficiency test. This is a black eye on black America. It is just awful that our children cannot compete in a global marketplace, that our children are still failing. And we still believe that lie. Uh, And I said, all you need are some mothers in the black community to say, no, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And I didn't for reasons of faith. I wanted to homeschool my children, but also for this reason, because I knew my children best. Each of my children has a different learning style. Each of my children has a different body clock. Each of my children have different interests. And I catered to each of those. And do you know what? My kids all work in their fields. They all do something that is related to their interests. So you're absolutely right. Now, I want to pivot to one last issue before we uh, go. And that is uh, one of the biggest issues facing Black America today, and it does relate to our economy, is the huge influx of illegals that are invading our communities. You wrote, quote, Biden's decision to abandon border controls costs black uh, costs blacks across the board. Explain how that addresses our economic issues. So black Americans are the more likely to be uh, entry level workforce by race than the population at large. 
the illegal immigrants that are coming into this country, they are not taking bank VP jobs. They are not taking attorney jobs. They're not taking high level white collar jobs when they come in and offering. They offer to do one thing. Whatever you want to pay, I'll take the job for less. I don't care what the minimum wage is. I'll take the job for less. And they have underbid any other workers in the space that they are. Blacks are more likely to be in that space than the population at large. And as a result, it's Black Americans that end up being displaced. Now, social programs, maybe there's a um, drug rehabilitation program. Maybe there's a literacy program in your community. Um, uh, maybe there's a program to help people to figure out how to save money uh, for housing. These aren't funded with federal dollars. These are funded with local and state dollars. The federal government has an income tax. It is progressive. That is not my choice, but it is progressive. And it means that if you're a higher income, you're more likely to pay a higher portion. But these programs that I'm talking about aren't funded through that. They're funded through a regressive program, sales taxes, income taxes, even if they exist, that say to you, the higher, the lower your income, the higher of the amount you're going to pay. That's what the typical state and local government does when it finances. I tell you all of that to say, therefore, black Americans who were born here, they pay this regressive tax their whole life. Yes. And then when their kid has a reading problem, they want to go to the program. Oh, wait, they got to get in line. Because yes. the program is inundated with people who just showed up, who haven't given a penny. They get to get this program. Education. It's not financed at the federal level. That's a local thing. So the dollars, you think, oh, wow, uh, 25 kids in the classroom, 35 kids in the classroom. Well, now we're going to have 50 kids in the classroom. That money is coming from local that you and I and many communities, especially Blacks that live in the inner city, have been paying for years. And when they ask to get a portion of that back to use the very programs that were set up, they're being crowded out. This disproportionately hurts Black Americans. Black American workers, the unemployment rate is higher for Blacks because of this displacement. The ability to get the kind of health care and other social services is affected because of this. We absolutely cannot have what this administration is doing. Anybody from anywhere at any reason can simply come to America and get in front of Americans who were born here. That's you know absolutely what? right. A deadbeat dad has plenty of women mm -hmm. that he's going to have. And when he gets tired of you, he just moves on to the other. He'll tell you a thing. We absolutely have to understand. If you don't put yourself first, you cannot trust the deadbeat dad to do it for you.
And this is where Black America, I think, is waking up. Because when you see that people are becoming outraged because of all the freebies that they get, you know, I adopted two of my children. And you would think, you would think adopting children who are disproportionately in our foster care system, we have uh, children who are Black disproportionately. So you would think that a family adopting two children would be entitled to all of these benefits and those sorts of things. Now, they didn't qualify under a federal program because ours was a private adoption. But you would think that their mental health care would be covered. You would think that they would have all of these other things. But no, not at all. Yet, someone who comes here illegally, when we have yeah. a system for legal immigration, someone who comes here and breaks all the laws, pushes you out of the way and gets to the front of the line and demands, hey, I want a free bus ticket. I want a plane ticket or whatever it is. And they get all of that. Don't you think that as an adoptive mother, I was a little angry about that? I was because I paid everything out of pocket and that was fine. We lived in California. We lived in the Bay Area of California, the most expensive place to live on one income that I sacrificed so that I could stay at home with my children. And don't you think I wanted all of those things paid for? And then to see someone come in and break our laws, no respect for our laws, and come in, and as you said, all of the deleterious effects on my community, and yet, you know, we have this system, uh, we had a homeschooling program, a regional occupation program, and they were offering all of these things, you know, the computer classes that I mentioned and some of these other things that my kids were interested in. So I called the regional occupation program and I said, hey, my kids would like to participate. Oh, you're homeschoolers? Well, we don't get the per student benefit, per pupil benefit wow. from the state. Right. And I, you know what I said? I, and he said, so you, you have to pay for this program. I said, well, you know what? I'll just stop paying my taxes. Cause you know what? My taxes fund your school and I don't That's get the right. benefit from you. So, That's right. but that didn't happen. I, I don't get that pass. I still have to pay for that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So I want to tell our audience that our guest, this program has been Horace Cooper. He is uh, with Project 21, and his latest book is uh, Put Y'all Back in Chains. Tell us more about where we can find you online and follow your work. So I appear regularly on uh, Fox News. I appear on great podcasts like this one. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at The Real Horace Cooper. Um, we are often, I do almost 350 radio uh, interviews a, a year, not a month, a year. Um, I write in uh, newspapers, uh, the Washington Times, uh, American Greatness, Town Hall, and I am constantly trying to make sure that I'm not speaking just to Black America. I want everybody to understand, if you care about Black America, and there are a lot of Americans that do, but some of them have wrong-headed ideas about how to fix the problem. The doctor can't just care. The doctor needs the right training to do the right thing. And so I've been trying to identify the things that work and the things that do not work. Caring is not enough. Getting it right is what's most important. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Horace Cooper, chairman of Project 21 and author of Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. Thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you for having me. And now it's time for us to bring in DK. DK, come on in. Hey, how are you? Hey, doing? how are you? Boy, that was a robust discussion, huh? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Horace Cooper. I've seen uh, yes, you know, on yes. TV a lot. I've read yes. a lot of his writings with you know Project Twenty One uh, columns, and um, yes, I read his books. So yeah, it was great to hear his great to hear his him speak. Although I, I missed a little bit of the interview, you know, I was trying to open the back door, and I accidentally pulled the fire alarm. So that was. <laughs> You know, that happens, though. Well, yeah, it does. It, sometimes, you know, you just, you're standing 50 feet away and you trip and what do you know, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I, I thought the fire alarm would work, but in this case, the door didn't open. I don't know what happened. Your timing was suspicious. <laughs> Very exactly. suspicious. I don't know. So what do you think of the news of the, the week? You know, um, Kevin McCarthy ousted as House wow. Speaker. What happened? Well, you know, here's the thing. You know that I'm from California. So, uh, and that is where Kevin McCarthy hails from. He was warned, I think. I mean, when you have to go through 16 rounds of voting, <laughs> you know, that might be a little bit of a hint that you're not as popular as you think that you are. It might be a little clue for you to grab that what you're doing is not in line with what your constituents want. Now, maybe in California, I mean, that's a kind of a whole nother animal. Although I will be fair and say that, you know, most people think of California as midnight blue and there are pockets that are, but there are a lot of parts of the state that are quite red. They just don't, they're not as populous and therefore their votes don't count, but large swaths of land are actually very red. Um, but those people never get a say in anything because, you know, so you vote somebody like Kevin McCarthy, he's Speaker of the House, but like we said, it takes 16 votes. You wrote a very popular column at acons.substack.com. You talked about how uh, his uh, chairmanship was uh, not going to be a good thing. And uh, they didn't listen to you, DK. They didn't listen to you. Shocking. No I know. I know. <laughs> very shocking. And so I'm not surprised. Now, Matt Gates, you know, he there seems to be a little bit of bad blood there. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. If you are going to uh, go for the uh, you're going to go against the government shutdown. I have said for a long time and other people have said you've said for a long time, you know, maybe this needs to happen to show, you know, uh, because they're they're funding all this hoo-ha. And so, you know, he was warned, we don't want you to do this, but he is going to compromise with the Democrats. And we saw that here in Texas, right? We saw that with Speaker Dade Phelan, uh, who got into a little bit of trouble, if you will, uh, because he was making nice with the Democrats. He was putting them as chairs of these things. And the Republican, we have a Republican majority in the state Senate. We have a Republican majority in the in the state house. Um, and we couldn't, and we have a Republican governor. And we couldn't get stuff passed because he's promoting these people as who were Democrats as chairs of these committees. And so, oh, educational choice didn't pass. Shocker, you know? So yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that Kevin McCarthy uh, was given this clue that his policies are not popular. But 
at the same time, it does put things in disarray heading into 2024, which is a crucial year. So uh, like your backdoor scenario, the timing is a little suspicious to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, your your comments pretty much match mine. Um, I don't know, maybe we can get Horace's Cooper Cooper's uh, comments if he hasn't left already. It'd be interesting what he has to say about the Gates thing. But, you know, our presents are the same. You know, I wrote a, a blog when he was nominated uh, su suggesting that he was not the best man for the job, not because he's he isn't a good man, but he, you know, he's he's been a moderate. He's been increasingly moderate throughout his career. So I, I knew he would be more of a compromiser, somebody who would boast about getting things done. And I, you know, I like the, the real firebrand conservative types, you know, like some of the people who may replace them, the Jim Jordan, maybe, or Brian Donalds, or maybe somebody who's not thrown in. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it could be, you know, according to the rules, it could be somebody who's not even in the house now. So maybe former speaker Luke Gingrich would uh, be the speaker. You know, he he would be great at it. But um, I don't think Ging Gingrich or anybody I can name would want to be speaker, especially under the rules where one person can uh, hold a vote to vacate you if they don't like one thing you do, and it could be personal. So I, I think they will have to change that rule and they'll probably get oh, Jim yeah. Jordan in there, who's always seems like a, a really solid conservative congressman to me, or maybe Thomas Macy, who was another guy, not as popular, probably wouldn't take the job, but he's another solid conservative. So yeah, yeah, there's a whole list of people I think would be a better speaker than uh, Jim, uh, Kevin McCarthy, but um, not sure how many of them want the job or who, who can get the job or would take the job under the under the rules Gates imposes upon them. So, but and they'll um, probably put a quota on it. It has to be a, a a black woman, blah 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 blah. Just like our new senator from California, even, my former home state. Our our former uh, senator Diane Feinstein passed away, and now we have a black lesbian senator who doesn't even live in California uh, uh, who has been sworn in. And I find that really interesting because yesterday Twitchy ran a column and it said that every single post about this woman talks about the fact that she's black, talks about the fact that she's a lesbian, but and, and talks about how she lives in Maryland and not California, but nothing about her qualifications other than she is a black lesbian. Well, she's the president of Emily's List, which is this yes. huge pro-abortion yes. group. Yes. You know, I think everybody who supports abortion, except for the case of the Save the Life of the Mother, is an abortion extremist. But Emily's List people, they're really abortion extremists. I mean, they want they want abortion from uh, up until the moment of uh, delivery, yes. you know. And so after. Even, yeah. They're abortion extremists on top of the extreme abortion support that's already out there. So I, I think that and the fact that she's such great friends with Kamala Harris, you know, I looked at uh, her Twitter feed and I saw these pictures of her hugging and laughing with Kamala, you know, supporting everything Kamala does. So obviously Kamala has a big influence in that, you know, she's 
she was senator from California herself for about a minute before she became yeah. a presidential <laughs> candidate and, and then vice president. So so she's she's not in California, um, the, your new uh, California's new senator, I mean, but she has some real connections there. But one thing I wanted to mention before we go is this whole debacle with over Kevin McCarthy reminded me of um, the House side of the Democrat side of the House, you know, because they would never have any like like this because for decades, you know, Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, whatever you think about her, she ruled the House Dems with an iron fist. Yes, she did. You know, and, and you look at um, so many examples of that. Uh, for example, there's a uh, the squad members, AOC and, mm. and Presley and, and all the others, they came to Washington promising to fight the establishment. And they got there and they immediately stood in line behind Nancy Pelosi. You never see one of them challenge, you never saw one of them challenge mm. Pelosi's uh, leadership the way Gates, for example, challenged McCarthy's leadership. Even on issues that are not very popular with their constituents. Now, you saw the videos of, um, AOC speaking to her constituents at some um, at some high school auditorium, for example, in her in, in her district, and they're booing her because you know she's a far she ran as a far left democratic socialist, and that's what they expect when they voted for her. And yet here she is supporting everything Nancy Pelosi says, including funding for their Ukraine war, which her constituents loathe you know they think mm -hmm. she's they think um they think AOC is a war market now because she she's supporting this funding and they hate it and they're booing her you know they're holding pr protest rallies against her but AOC will hold firm on that because that's what Nancy Pelosi wants then you also you saw study all these scandals that uh Nancy Pelosi was involved in none of None of them really got her leadership challenge. You know, we had the stock thing, which he suspiciously yes. was able to buy and sell stocks. Yes. You know, based on timing of bills that are going through Congress at the time. We have her son, uh, I think Paul Pelosi Jr., who was uh, able to accompany her. Paul Pelosi Jr. is pretty much like uh, Hunter yeah. Biden without the yeah. sexual deviancy and the drug addiction. You know, they go, he follows her to Asia where he has all these connected to lithium companies that, you know, that exist in Asia, you know, South Korea, for example, fly on the government um, airplane, you know, use Nancy, uh, Nancy Pelosi's connection as the Speaker of the House at the time to get these deals done. So it's very much like the Hunter Biden thing without the prostitutes and cocaine. <laughs> and then we have um, the way she's able to keep the how she was always able to keep the Democrat uh, um, congressman in line over things that a lot of them would ordinarily vote against. I mean, it was like the wall, for example. She 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 declared that the wall on the Trump administration was immorality. And after that, you couldn't find a Democrat who would support funding for the wall. You know, we had the whole J6 thing where she was suspiciously involved in not having the Capitol building protected by National Guardsmen, which was offered to her by uh, then President Donald yes. Trump. But they had these huge J6 committee meetings that she set up only to attack President Trump. 
but but that was not allowed to be spoken of. They yeah. they want to investigate January sixth, but something as important as whether or not she um, was offered ten thousand National Guards men that day to protect the Capitol building was never brought up. So that was a great demonstration of her power, and yeah, and that's pretty much it. You know, you know the Democrats now are, are boasting that. The dem um, you never saw this kind of chaos on their side. It's because they're completely cowed by Nancy Pelosi. That's right. Um, even the new speaker Jeffries, I think he's speaker in name only. He'll never go against um, Pelosi either. He's only speaker because she allows him to be speaker, and she's going to run again. So I guess we got like two or three more years of this, um, and maybe yeah. more than that. So I just wanted to give. Credit where credit was due. Nancy Pelosi was a boss speaker. You know, she had everybody intimidated, including a great number of Republicans. She got what he wanted, and hopefully we'll find the, a conservative equivalent of Nancy Pelosi. Not the corrupt stuff, yes. but <laughs> able to get her <sighs> and a conservative agenda through Congress. Well, as you point out, let's bring in Horace Cooper and see what his particular uh, advices around that what do you think of uh the whole situation with matt gates and the cooper uh, the uh speaker gate situation well i think uh really um there's a maxim the perfect is never supposed to be the enemy of the good that's right um, i did not look to washington as my savior i did not look to House Republicans as my savior. My goal is make some progress. I worked on Capitol Hill almost 20 years. I know what's possible. My boss was the number two job, the same job that Steve Scalise now holds. I worked in the Capitol building. I had an amazing and fantastic view. Now, when I worked, Republicans controlled the House and the Senate. And yet we still could not make government rubber stamp every vision of freedom that conservative would offer, conservatism would offer. We now only hold one third, one house by a very narrow margin. So those that would say, well, wow, how come you haven't done this and this and this and this and this set up, I think, perhaps an unreasonable expectation. This is no endorsement of Mr. McCarthy, it is instead an acknowledgement that punishing him for what the system, which our founders created, they intended to make it very hard for dramatic change. The terrible changes that have happened in our country took decades and it will not be simple by design to undo those. We have to expect steady progress. There are no get-rich-quick schemes that work, and there is no quick liberty scheme that works. And so any voice that tells me um, I'm acting the way that I did because I know we could be free right now is a, a quick liberty scheme just like a get-rich-quick scheme. Just so. If you're just joining us, uh, our guest has been Horace Cooper. 
And you can also go to acons.substack.com. We're going to wrap up another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm Marie Strotter. I am signing off from Studio C. We'll see you next time on African American Conservatives. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. And also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.